HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everyone is really excited to the first episode of 2024 coming to you from the Heritage Radio Network studios inside Roberta's Pizza. There is pizza on the way. Um, it's sunny, shining. It's a really good day out here in Bushwick. And we are talking with the Forbes 30 Under 30 winners, the editors of the competition, to find out what's new and hot and happening in the food trend world. Forbes 30 Under 30 is a story that we love that is very close to our hearts. And if you have been faithful listener from the beginning of Tech Bites, you will know that Tech Bytes episode number one, broadcast in January of 2015, was on the Forbes 30 Under 30, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, if you like that, we covered it in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, and here we are in 2024, which is great because now we have a lot of context. I mean, just for fun, um, episode one, the class of 20. 15 notable guest. Does anybody remember a little food delivery service called Caviar? Oh my God. Yes. Jason Wang was one of the guests and he sat in the seat you're sitting in, Bloden, which is kind of funny telling a story about. It's very exciting. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the, the history also, you know, once we get some distance between the episode from one year to the next, it's also the history of the trajectory of the companies and the people who were highlighted and found and discovered and, and what being on the list means and how good the, how good the guess is on the, on behalf of the editors and the judges of who, who has potential. So let's get right into it because we did order pizza and we will take a break when it comes, but returning to the show to do the episode and notably returning back to the studio post-pandemic for the first time 
We have the uh, women who are really responsible on the Forbes end for the list. We have Kristen Stoller, who is senior editor at Forbes, who manages quite a bit of the 30 under 30 list, not just food and drink, but the big enchilada. Thank you for coming back. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's great to be in studio. You were last here in February of 2020. And I think the Forbes 30 under 30 episode in 2020 was possibly the last episode we did, I did for Tech Bytes in studio. Because oh I think wow. the world closed after that. It really did. We were the last podcast, I think, that probably happened. In That's, real life, for yeah. sure. And I wasn't, I actually wasn't editing the under 30 list as a whole then. Um, so it's it's been fun to take it just from doing food and drink with Chloe here and then getting to do the the full list and our Europe list and our local list too. It's a lot of fun. And joining her also is Chloe Servino, who's staff writer at Forbes, also author. We can talk about that maybe later. Uh, welcome back as well. Nice. It's it's fun. Yes, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us. You know, it's my seventh year now working on this 30 under 30 food list, which has been shocking in a wild ride. And while, you know, maybe that caviar pick the year before that was maybe a, a part of one of our, our best picks, it's been really fun to see. Um, just these entrepreneurs grow and their companies are succeeding. Yeah, it's it's also fascinating to watch just the evolution of the demographics of people, the money that it represents, the type of um, products and things that are interesting, um, celebrities who come on and off the list. Uh, you know, so so let's let's um, I'll introduce also we have with us uh, Bloden Yukello, who's founder and CEO of Real Ice Tea, one of the winners. Thank yes, you. it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having us. He also brought iced tea for us so we won't dehydrate. It has a lot of um, antioxidants and health benefits, so maybe we'll all just feel fantastic after the show. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> My lawyer might not want to hear that. Okay, but... <laughs> or, or, or your, your money back for free product. And sitting next to him is Angel Zhang, and she is co-founder of Moco Restaurant in the East Village in New York City, sort of redefining what Omakase, fine dining, accessibility experiences. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It should be a lot of fun. It's always nice to meet new people and find out what's happening in the world. So Kristen and Chloe, what are the trends from this year to the next? Let's look at it by the numbers. It's always really efficient uh, when you go online to read the articles by the numbers, the different trends. I always like to see, you know, what the break point is between, um, you know, men, women, and uh, now you actually had last year also included of non-binary also. So exactly. 1%, which is great. Mm. And then the break point between men and women is pretty close to even. Yeah, actually this year, gender parity reached an all-time high for us, which I was very excited about. Uh, we have 42% um, of people on the list identified as female, 57% uh, identified as male, and 1% as non-binary. Um, I was also really proud, 23% are immigrants, I will mm-hmm. say, and mm-hmm. 43% self-identify as a person of color. So I'm feeling really good about our breakdown this year. And I think it just speaks to to where the, the trends and where the money is, is going, hopefully more to women and people of color as well. Two things that I noticed about this year's list, which I, I wrote down. One is that the winners 
collectively have more than $10 million in student debt. Yes. Mm. Is that something that you looked at for the first time this year or just something that I noticed for the first time this year? We've looked at that every year. I will say this is one of the highest years, if not the highest, um, but it's it's definitely increasing. And I think that is definitely worrisome. We also have a lot of people on our list who are dropouts um, and have been super successful. Um, so I think that's trending in that direction as college gets more expensive. I think more people are dropping out to form their own companies, to be honest. I wonder if it also has to do with the break point of 2020 and the pandemic and things closing and remote learning or remote classroom versus sure. on-premise or, you know, so many people, there was so much uh, shift in geography. People move back home, move to someplace else, um, a lot of reconfiguration of, of how people are doing things. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. But I, I was surprised to see the amount of funding they were able to get regardless. We, I think in total, the class of 2024 raised $3.6 billion. That's billion with a B. Yep. Wow. That's a lot of money. And it, that the class is 600 companies, correct? Yes, 20 categories um, with 30 in each category. So I have, what does that equal up to? Is that, that 600? <laughs> My math is very bad, but <laughs> 20 categories, 30 people on each. Um, of course, if there's co-founders, we have co-founder pairs lifted as mm -hmm. one entity. Um, but yeah, 30 under 30. And the average age was 27. Mm -hmm. Youngest, youngest, what was, who's the youngest? I believe she is 16. <gasps> and I, I should have looked up her name before I came, but I'm pretty sure uh, she's from Puerto Rico and runs an ed tech company at 16 with two co-founders. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll just say too, on the debt, student debt topic here on the food list, you know, we've always really... For first and foremost, the 30 and 30 is a list for entrepreneurship. Um, and while sometimes that means, you know, big numbers, right? Big raised amounts of money from investors or big revenue. Some other times, you know, there are founders who are bootstrapping. And, you know, especially um, as we're, you know, sitting down to debate and look at candidates, um, often we are looking at things like student debt which they often fill out in their applications because it gives us an indication, you know, if they're raising a lot of money, but they have student debt, you know, maybe that's why they, they weren't able to bootstrap for longer. Um, I think it speaks to the story of the entire picture and, you know, how these, these entrepreneurs have just so much risk on the table and they're still willing to bet it all for their dreams and for these companies. Student debt. I mean, this, it's a timely topic right now, given that we're sitting here in January of 2024, um, student debt is certainly something that is on the mind of the politicians and the powers that be and the American people of all ages. I'm sure every single person listening to this right now knows somebody who is grappling with student debt or is grappling with whether or not they should pursue continuing education and something, you know, college or collegiate or academic because of the student debt issue. I don't want to go too far off the sidetrack because we could do a whole episode on this. Um, focus back <laughs> to Forbes 30 under 30. But just out of curiosity, um, not, of course, the 16-year-old certainly probably is not in college yet. Um, and you said that there are certainly people who dropped out of school. And I wonder, is there a... Uh, 
category or word that we use to describe someone who has left an academic institution to pursue something else that doesn't quite have the negative connotation of dropout? Is there something new that we're using? Or does something new exist? Because to me, I mean, I think, you know, just historically, the word dropout is not necessarily positive. It indicates someone who kind of like gave up and dropped out. But there are people who make the decision to leave, to pursue business, other opportunities, something else that doesn't work. You know, I don't know. Is there a transitional word that's maybe... I think at Forbes, we've always embraced the term dropout, okay. um, for better or for worse. I mean, we obviously, you know, we we highlight contrarianism mm-hmm. at its finest mm-hmm. and its fundamentalness. Um, so, you know, I mean, we, we embrace dropout, but... <laughs> there's these terms like overeducated, right? So you would think that there would be like a converse, but also something that's more positive for for, yeah. for folks that don't need to pursue higher education. Yeah. And on that note, here comes our pizza. So let's pursue Roberta's famous original pizza, which just is an inside tip for people. Famous original is not the Roberta's pizza famous original. Famous original is Roberta's nod and tribute to all of the famous original slice joints in Manhattan and New York City because they Mm. have a very specific taste. The tomato, the oregano, the cheese, famous original Ray's, Joe's, like whatever. You walk down, you know, the streets, they're everywhere. So it's their tribute to capturing that flavor. And it's a cheese and tomato sauce pizza but if you get it with pepperoni, as we did, it tastes just like one of those slices, but just the bestest, bestest version of it. So we're going to have that. We're also going to have the bee sting, which is a famous Roberta's pizza. And we will be back in just a minute while we get ourselves situated with some Roberta's pizza and some real iced tea, which Bloden was uh, nice enough to bring so we can try that all out. So we're going to get ourselves situated and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. This episode is supported by HRN business member Chemists in the Kitchen by LabX. Chemists in the Kitchen is a YouTube video series by LabX, spotlighting the power of chemistry and how science and food can bring people together. In each episode, real scientists walk you through topics like making your own pickles, the chemistry behind ceviche, and much, much more. It's a love letter to science, cooking, and individuality, with some great tips on how you can apply real scientific principles to your own kitchen. Plus, 
it's just a lot of fun. Subscribe on YouTube to watch the entire series for free. Chemist in the Kitchen by LabX is a program of the National Academy of Sciences and supports HRN's creative educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is the Forbes 30 Under 30 class of 2024. This is a story that we love, that we've been following since, oh, back in the day of episode one in 2015. We have a great group of people sitting around some empty pizza boxes because the pizza at Roberta's is great. We have Kristen Stoller, senior editor at Forbes, Chloe Savino, staff writer Bloden Nukella, who is founder and CEO of Real Ice Tea, and Angel Zhang, who is co-founder of MoCo. So we were just earlier talking about the 2024 list kind of by the numbers. It's a great list, a lot of money pretty evenly distributed amongst all the demographics of people types, is how I'll say. Now tell us, uh, Kristen and Chloe, what were the big trends? What were the big, big trends this year um, that were hard to ignore? And what are some of the micro trends that weren't quite there yet, but maybe we should look out for next year? So it's a really interesting time in the food, farming, beverage world, and this list also touches alcohol, sommeliers, so many other folks. But we do look really, really deeply at the CPG, the the food space, you know, where you get food at the grocery store. And because of the last few years of how funding has gone and then the way that that intersected with the macroeconomic downturn, I mean, there were companies that were really struggling last year and especially even into, you know, this past year's list. And that manifested in some really interesting ways. You know, there's still tech companies that are getting some really exciting deals and really making significant innovations and and, and making waves in the market. And then there's, um, you know, a a more challenging time in restaurants, for example. Um, And some of the CPG brands that you might expect to be on this list, I think um, it, it was a really hard bar to make this year. I think a good example of tech that, you know, is intersecting and actually really creating solutions is Ricky Cassini of Micromia. You know, he's an immigrant from Argentina and co-founded this very fascinating food tech company that is essentially using fermentation and fungi to create new ingredients that are alternatives to additives like red dye, yellow dye, things that are potentially, you know, very hazardous for our health, problematic. Um, And then using that those those dyes to to color you know the cereals of the future the protein bars of the future the beverages of the future and i think we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs who are really doing a really good job and finding success when they're in these niche spaces and 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 helping leverage other businesses too certainly in the plant-based replacement for animal-based product category over the, I would say maybe in the past two years, uh, I've seen an influx of, you know, press releases and pitches from companies doing just that, making the ingredients, the ingredients that you need to create a plant-based 
burger, nugget, cheese, milk, dairy, ice cream, whatever it may be. We don't often think about all those plant-based things, um, lab-grown things as being, you know, huge composites of a bunch of stuff. And where is that stuff going to come from? Yeah, there's ultra processing. There's so many ingredients going into all that. And I think that's a perfect example because- NASA level processing in some respects. (laughs) I mean, you know, those, even though alternative proteins and some of those plant-based meats and other, you know, products are now actually struggling, right? It's like those companies that have been supplying them, but also building out their business in other ways and diversifying uh, have been really successful and and they, it was a good foothold for them originally, but have been able to move on from it too. Nobody really thinks about those types of things. Nobody thinks about where the ingredients and the elements come from until we read a big headline of, you know, red dye number two is going to kill you, don't eat it. You know, and then everybody's concerned about, oh my God, how's my food being colored? It's that yellow dye number five that I'm still worried about. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so that's fascinating. So you have some things where it's like at the ingredient level and is it is it too simple a statement to make and say supply chain issues and employment issues and then just economics are just making it challenging for I think most businesses across the board whether you're a you know billion dollar multinational company or a small restaurant in the east village I think everybody to a certain extent is experiencing the same uh, business issues right now economically on on just on scaled to their business yeah absolutely i mean the management software type companies like raghav Podar of super order was on the list this year i think that's a great example um and then there's just things you know with restaurants being such a huge part of this list we also um we hear the labor and management and software sort of systems that comes up again and again And I think it's also saturation. I mean, I was super surprised and Chloe knows every single year I am a big beer person Mm. and my goal is I go on a giant brewer and brewery hunt. And this year I was unable to find a young brewer who is a owner or a founder of a brewery under the age of 30. And I think it's because we've got a lot of good ones already on, on the list where they're and I don't know what it is or why, but we struggled with that. And in its place, we've seen um, a lot of, of um, cannabis and CBD and those type of beverages instead. How, speaking of, how big was the entries for the edible tea, CBD, THC, tincture, consumable market? I kind of think this was our biggest year ever, right? And it's been growing for years. Yeah. The past three, at least we've, we've been starting to at least have, you know, three to five. We'd sit down to sit with judges with on our big judging day, but yeah, we had a lot. And I think the most significant one that we were really impressed with was this company nowadays. Um, it's a, uh, cannabis drink in either a low dose or a high dose that comes in a bottle, Um, They have a few million in funding and they're partnering with um, liquor and alcohol distributors across the U.S. to try and place their products like, you know, you would a beer or a seltzer or something like that. Um, But that was really fascinating. And we've seen a lot more of that. Interesting. What trends were too small to hit the list this year, but you think might be coming soon? I mean, we're still seeing, you know, small scale or like niche creators. And every year we've been adding more and more of those, you know, one person a year. But um, I think there's still a lot of room for actual, you know, creators are building real businesses and 
and, you know, even just, you know, talking about where the micro influencer versus macro influencer market and how TikTok's impacting all of that, you know, I think there's um, always a lot there and we'll see more in the future. I think that and also alternative proteins too. We saw a couple of alternative um, fish companies that we looked at Lab this grown? year. Lab grown? Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 no. Lab grown. From Asia? No, they were no? Lab Sorry, no. not the, but a couple different ones. Um, and they I, are a little small at this point, um, and I don't think fully developed yet, but I would expect we'd see more in the future. I don't know. I'll go back and forth. I think, that, I think investors <laughs> are really wary of that industry yeah. right now, so I'm not sure we'll if those see. companies are going to make it till next year, but we'll see. Interesting. It's really fascinating. Um, what about AI? AI. That We actually do have a big yeah. AI company. I, it's called Kia, Adam Ahmed, right? He is really fascinating. So he has $30 million in funding. Basically, it is an AI that um, it can, like, integrate into a restaurant's system and take phone calls, triage incoming calls, um, transcribe orders, and send them right into their existing system that they have. And that was really interesting. He was also on our under 30 local list uh, that we did in Boston last summer. Okay. Too. We might have to take a look at him. We're getting ready. We're On the show, there are a couple different AI shows that we want to do. Um, one is possibly just having AI write a show mm-hmm. and then just read that. That would be and fun. And just see what happens. Um, and then also how AI is integrating into different things and, and what people think about that. It's interesting because in the restaurant space, it's almost, it's very difficult to get to a person nowadays, oftentimes. You know, if you want to actually call a restaurant and talk to a person, that can be very, very challenging. Um, but maybe you could talk to AI. Mm-hmm. Okay. To point, when we think about innovation and, you know, the hot new thing, the next new thing, people who are, you know, icebreakers, you know, new ground, all of that. I wouldn't have guessed iced tea and a restaurant, but that just goes to show that, you know, there's a, you know, better way to catch a fish and slice a loaf of bread and, and all those kinds of things. Uh I'm going to start with Bloden because I'm drinking his real tea right now. I have the raspberry one. I have to get some of the lemon one because somebody said that was their favorite. He and I spoke before the show. And my question to him, and I'll I'll let him answer it, was, yeah. And I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has been in a grocery store, convenience store, bodega, gas station, store, big box, airport, any place. And when you go to the beverage case or aisle, it's like a wall of iced tea, literally a wall of iced tea, different flavors, types, different countries, states. If I was doing research at what kind of company I would want to do, what kind of product I would want to sell, I don't know if I would pick the one that had, I don't know. A billion different brands. But he did. And it's a great story as to why he did and why his is going to be different. So I said, Bloden, why would you pick iced tea? Yeah. I, I think you're asking the same question my investors did. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Look, <clears throat> a couple of realities here. One, what you said about the beverage set is definitely true. I think if you look at any set right now in CPG, it's extremely saturated. Over the last five years, up until about 18 months ago, I would say, 
everybody got into the food and beverage space. It almost looked like it was the easiest category to start a business in. Is that post-pandemic because of the panic that everybody had of just being able to acquire food and beverage and drink at any level at a certain point in time? Look, that's definitely a factor in, in that entire thing. But I think it started pre-pandemic. Traditionally, getting funding in, in the food and beverage space is not difficult. I think people look at the big acquisitions that happen, um, whether it's the beverage category, snack category, and, and get excited. Investors overlook the complexity of the category, and they find and identify some really remarkable operators um, that are great brand operators, but not good business operators, I would say. And the business element of the CPG space is probably the most important one. So to me, to answer your question, the reason I looked at T is exactly what you noted. It's humongous. It's $6.75 billion in annual sales on a reported level. Six point. $75 billion. Yep. $6.75 billion people spend on tea every year. Every single year. And what's, what's and that's more, growing, I'm assuming, year to year. Yeah, it's grown over 5% uh, that's year crazy. over year. But what's more interesting and what gets me excited about looking at beverage categories is it is dominated by five players. I mean, if you look at the entire market share over 98%. Isn't everything dominated by five players, whether it's like the import company, the CPG company, and isn't it all just at the end of the day, like Nestle and, you know, it definitely, definitely is. Unilever. Look, you you have pioneers in every other category. If you look at water, Liquid Death has done a remarkable job redefining sort of the water category. If you look at isotonics, Body Armor redefined it first. Now you see celebrity plays like Prime Hydration Mm -hmm. dominating the space. But in tea, it's tired. There has not been something new. Um, the reason that I started this business is twofold. I'm a big believer that disruption is a bad thing. I think operators and entrepreneurs love to use the word disruptive a lot. I hate to say that I don't. I'm a big additive thinker. So when I look at business, I try to figure out how can we be an addition to the category and not steal from the category? Because I think from a business element standpoint, that's probably the most important to identify. Well, then you don't walk into a room and say to people, this, the, the $6.75 billion is all wrong. No, I say, I say it's wrong in a lot of ways and we're going to make it six, 7.25. Um, but no, and, and then the, the real reason that I did this, look, I've been in the beverage business literally my entire career. It got into it by accident. Prior to launching this business, I was a chief strategy officer for a super, super successful brand in the beverage space called Owen, O-W-Y-N. It was a big plant-based nutrition platform. And I've been fortunate to do well. And when I was looking at the next thing, it needed to be something that I wanted to wake up and do every single day. I am by design the person that wakes up at four o'clock in the morning, no matter what, whether I'm happy about it or not. (laughs) I just like to be happy about it instead. And I've got a weird origin story that drives my affinity for tea. I was born in uh, a country called Kosovo. I don't think it's a weird story. I think it's actually a very familiar story to a lot of people who are going to listen to it. No doubt. And I was born in Kosovo. I had two remarkable parents, two wonderful older sisters. Um, We were forced to flee our home in 1999 when the war erupted. And it was very much so a genocide in a lot of ways. We didn't have an army to really equip and protect us. And when we left our country... The story is as wicked as having guys with machine guns come to your doorstep and tell you that you have 15 minutes to leave, right? So it's it's a real thing, no pun intended, or maybe so. But the reality for us is when we got to the States <laughs> after America built out our country, um, we came here with $600. We didn't speak English. We had a local church in Cape May County, New Jersey, that took us in and gave us a one-bedroom studio home. 
And the biggest hurdle that a lot of refugees face, in my opinion, and it's evolved pretty tremendously in a good way, is access to quality health care. So what what year did you 1999? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we got here, you know, we were told you can go to a doctor, but you have to see him at the hospital because unfortunately you don't have any money to pay for privately held insurance. You don't have citizenship yet. You don't get federally funded things. Um, and I have stubborn Eastern European parents. I always tell people that you're definitely not going to the hospital when you're sick. So we relied a lot on traditional at-home remedies uh, from my culture. And my mom, her biggest one was tea. I didn't know one day I'd get into the tea business because of that. But you fast forward 20 years and I'm in the functional beverage world. And I'm starting to look at the tea category, questioning why when I drink a bottled iced tea, I don't feel as good as the tea I drank growing up, right? That you make at home. And when I started to do a ton of research on the space and I learned that tea is literally a natural health supplement, right? I'm a big believer that food is medicine if you use it correctly while I eat a pizza, sli uh, pizza slice. But pizza's good. <laughs> this pizza is good for you. Super good for you. I agree with it's that. It's great. No, it's it is. Like it is the best tasting pizza I've ever had in my life. Quality ingredients. But cooked what, with love. What I, what I will tell pie. you is um, when I started looking at the category, I realized that the category looks like tea, smells like tea, tastes like tea, because it literally is made with tea. But the commercial manufacturing process that we use in large-scale commercial manufacturing within the beverage world is extremely intrusive, degrading, abusive to the liquid. And what ends up happening is all that good stuff, right, the natural tea polyphenols that come from a tea leaf, they don't make it to the end product. Um, and I had incredible investor partners that I've known for years through the Owen journey and the buy journey and even before that, that saw that same exact proposition and said, why doesn't tea taste good but also do good for your body at the same time? We spent about six months basically reverse engineering the traditional process that people use to manufacture teas in large, large scale. And we ended up coming up with real tea, which is at the core, a zero sugar, zero calorie, nothing artificial iced tea. Tastes just like the nostalgic stuff that we grew up knowing and loving, the Snapples, the Pure Leafs, the Arizonas. But it's also jam-packed with 200 milligrams of tea polyphenols, making it the industry's leading functional tea that truly has functionality that comes from a tea leaf. So your story is almost a perfect storm for right now. It, your story almost hits every, and everyone's nodding vigorously. They, I'll, I'll note that because we don't have a YouTube video component to this podcast, we're old school audio only <laughs> for this moment in time. Everybody's nodding vigorously. You are uh, a have a very emotional and sympathetic story about a family immigrating to the United States from war-torn country, which I think resonates in a way with people today that maybe it hasn't in the past for a variety of reasons. You are in a functional health food space, beverage space, at a time when most of the world has gone through a existential brush with mortality, if not an actual brush with mortality, and are really focused on having what they eat and put into their bodies be as multifaceted, multifunctional as possible. Um, and then you also just layer in the, the sort of the old school family remedy, which comes from time and comes from history, like the tried and true, like the natural all those types of things. I mean, every single one of those things 
on its own would be a, uh, you know, like a selling point, point of interest, but all of them together, I mean, that's a great, that's a great package. No, thank you for that. And look, at the end of the day, real is spelled R-Y-L. Um, people ask me why we did that. Because one. you're 30 under 30? Well, look, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's 30 under 30 or trademark law, but it, it's a little or bit the, of both, the, I the, ha- the handle or URL was not available? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. No, but the, the real reason is actually R-Y-L stands for Rethink Your Liquids. Oh, um, so we, you we took a page big. from the Owen. Yeah, without a doubt. Look, that, that that was my baby for a long time, and I still love those guys and that brand and that product. But the reality for us is the categories in beverage are here to sort of stay. They're not going anywhere. I think people think about beverage and new beverages and innovation as the new version of something or the new category that's going to explode. No, look. Ice tea is here to stay. We well, just got to make it relevant of, to today's customer. Tea is one of the original commodities mm-hmm. from centuries ago. You know, like it absolutely is the spice trade, people sailing around the world. You know, all of those types of things. Tea is is something that has tea, like tea, salt. Yeah. Those have been around and valued for centuries from different parts of the world. And I mean, I'm assuming. The logic of if something lasts for thousands of years, it's probably all right. I would agree. <laughs> well, your story is also very uh, generated by personal experience and generated by the idea of something that you wanted to, not that you didn't care about your work in the past, but something that you were connected a little more deeply to. I'm going to ask you one question and then we're going to pivot over to your uh, co-winner, Angel, and talk about her experience the question I ask many a founder in this very studio, and I find that the answer to this question is a really good indicator as to what type of success trajectory we can see for the business. And the question is, do you have an exit strategy? Look, we're here to grow, not sell yet. Um, I, we love running this thing. The entire team is one of the best in the industry by far. The operating team is world class. They come from a lot of very, very big non-alcoholic beverage companies that have done tremendously well and have definitely had one of those un- unbelievable exits that people talk about. But our strategy is focus on what we're doing now. We're doing something big. It's growing at a tremendous rate. We have to keep up with it. And when it's time to sell, it just means that it's time to help it grow further. And that's going to be what the acquirer does and not us. So I've found that people who start a business with an eye to the exit have a very different articulation of how they run it and how they measure success. And I've had a number of founders in this booth who say, I don't have an exit because this is my business. And oftentimes, one of the notable ones is the founder of Slice. Mm. the online pizza app um, to compete with Domino's and things like that because he came from a family that had pizza restaurants and wanted to help his fellow independent pizza people um, with their businesses compete against, you know, uh, the big conglomerates. And he was very emphatic. One of my favorite no exit stories is is the founder of Slice. And so it's very interesting when people are thinking about the, the trajectory of their business. Exit or no exit really makes a difference. So there we go. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Angel, um, reimagining restaurant landscape, again, something in New York City, you know, I think there are actually something like 30,000 restaurants in the five boroughs, like listed, not including food carts and pizza spots and 
um, you know, places you can get food, but actually just like what we call restaurants, it's pretty audacious to be coming into New York City and saying, we're going to open a restaurant, we're going to change, you know, the face of these types of things. So tell us, you know, again, what what's the what was your impetus in, into doing that? Um, so I had this idea three years ago of opening my first restaurant, and this was peak COVID. Everyone was leaving the city. Everyone was saying New York City is never going to recover. I remember one article saying that the New York City restaurant landscape and just the economy as a whole won't recover for 10 years. And I feel like whoever wrote that was not a New Yorker because (laughs) I grew up here since I was seven and I knew like deep down like that we're New York strong and whatever happened, we would rally and we would overcome this to the best of our abilities and as soon as we can. And I knew that ever since I was little that food made me happy when I was sad. It cheered me up when I had something to celebrate. It was over a meal with family, with friends. And at that time, I had a clothing brand and it had to close because of quarantine and the pandemic and shutdowns. And I took that that failure kind of personally and I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be able to open a restaurant for the, the longest time. And the barrier to entry at that point, this was May 2021 when I signed the lease, was so low, like a fraction of the cost of what it would be like to sign a lease, which I would know because I signed a lease on my second restaurant. I think that was the case for everything from apartments to retail to to restaurant to anything. I think New York City was on sale for a while. Yeah. And everybody was like, you're you're crazy for wanting to start a restaurant with no hospitality experience. And you're going to sign like a five year lease. Like there's no way that you could just open a restaurant. And I started it with my best friend. And at that time, we were both, um, respectfully, I was 20 and he was 24, but we had a dream and we believed in ourselves and it was a lot of trial and error. And I truly believe you're, you're not failing if you're failing forward. So I actually thought that because everything was shut down, the world was shut down for a while, we kind of had a lot more leniency in terms of learning from our mistakes and having more time to learn to be restaurateurs. And we wanted to have this vision of making omakase more accessible for people. Now, if you go to like the East Village or anywhere in Manhattan, there's tons of omakase restaurants that are affordable. Like there's... How do you define omakase? Omakase is the Japanese word for chef's choice. And it's about having the highest quality ingredients, specifically fish, um, that the chef prepares and picks seasonally or by the day. And they make the choice for you for the meal, and you don't get to pick um, what kind of sushi you're eating. It comes from, I believe it comes from Kyoto monasteries, where the monks would eat hyper-seasonal food. And it's a pre, not only just chef's choice, but there's an actual uh, sequencing to the types of dishes that you eat going from different types of raw vegetable, cooked vegetable, you know, all those types of things. And it was a meal that they would eat when they were breaking the fast. Because it's the most highest quality thing you could put into Mm -hmm. your body after depriving your body of so long of nutrition. Mm -hmm. And we were talking a lot about additives in our food and not knowing where our food comes Mm -hmm. from, or even the things that we're putting into our body can now cause us different diseases and cancer and we constantly have to worry or see a news article come out that about red dyes right yellow dye added all the things um 
but omakase at the core of it is it's deprived of all of that like yeah. there's absolutely nothing added just fresh fish and great quality grains so, so the rice and then the chef's toppings that he would make from scratch and the food that you know that you're putting into your body is the best that it can be and i think that everyone deserves that without having to break the bank are you surprised given your story of coming to it at a very difficult time coming to it um with a place of a vision and an idea and wanting to do something, but without some of the experience that one would expect. Are you surprised being on the Forbes 30 under 30 list? It was definitely a surprise to say the least. It was my first time getting nominated for the list and I really didn't think I was going to make it. I have I had several friends who were in the previous years and they were like, yeah, it's okay. Like sometimes you don't make it the first time, but you just try again. Like you have so much time left. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I'm not going to take this uh, any other way. I'm not going to like get my hopes up too high. But then it was the last week of November of last year. And, and I just, I, I got an email and I made the list. It was, it was definitely a big surprise. So to both of you, um, What's the biggest impact thus far of being on the list? I think that the biggest impact is the community that comes with it. It was, I don't know what it's like to be on any other list uh, for Forbes, but the food and drinks list this year has been like a whole new family for me. I feel like I think I, I made the list and 30 minutes in, I had like an alumni reach out, shout out to Dan and was like, I would love to do a dinner. I want to invite everyone who made the list for food and drinks and we want to host at your restaurant. And I asked around. I don't think any other list did that. Like it was like a group dinner. All of us met each other. All of us it's shared the our food story. and drink thing. Yeah, it's like, I think yeah, it's like it's the, about it's the community. food and drink. It's Dan. But I don't think any other list has that. Like I think that we've all kept in touch. We all have helped each other along like this journey. And anything that we need, um, we can just like reach out and have someone who's, you know, maybe more experienced would have more kind of a guidance to help you through this. Um, I'm very, very lucky and honored to be a part of this community. That's That was very well put. I don't even know how to follow that up. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It really is a big community. She's spot on. I think it also does a lot for your team too, which was awesome to see. We have a lot of young talent in our team alongside a lot of senior talent, but the young How talent. do you define young coming from a person who's on an under 30 well, list? Well, I, I got to be honest. Like, I mean, fresh out of college. Like, okay. fresh. First ever job. Never done anything else. And we threw them in the fire People of real tea. Like 19, 20? Yeah, I mean, literally anywhere from... We, we have interns that are 18 years old that work day in and day out all summer. Um, we've got kids that are fresh out of school. This is their first okay. full-time job. And okay. I think it was really cool to see how inspiring that was for them, too. I mean, I got to be honest. You can ask either one of them for sure. Um, but Kristen, especially, I must have emailed her 300 <laughs> times. Hey, how's this looking? And she just wouldn't answer. But, um, <laughs> no, I was I was really, really excited. Um, this was not the first time that I wanted to be on the list. I, I'm 20, I was 27 when I made it, 28 now. Um, so it's a privilege by far. And it's just great from a business standpoint. It really does give you a lot of authenticity, even within the investor community. Um, within the retail community and in, in, in our world in food and beverage, you're dealing with retailers and distributors and everybody has a really cool story. Um, but when you throw that on, it, it validates something from a real business 
standpoint, and and it, it's a blessing for sure. So to Kristen and Chloe, I mean, how many how many companies did you look at for this year's food and drink category? Ooh, I want to say we had six hundred applications or people wow. submit. Okay, and then we narrowed it down to our top one thirty. Right. Yeah, we usually just like to sit down for our judging day. Right. It's like around a hundred total. It's not. It's, that's like our cap. So, sh- short soundbite. What was it about each of these companies that separated them from the six hundred? I'll say it in one word: authenticity. Mm. Both of them. Okay. I'll, I'll say it in a couple more words, and I think it's <laughs> different for each. For Angel, I think we. So Chloe mentioned our big tasting. Um, the second we tasted her product. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> yes, I think we all looked at each other and our eyes lit up and we were like, wow, this is something. Um, and similarly, similarly with Real, when we tried it, we we were all like, this this makes sense. The mission makes sense. The taste is there. I think the market's there. The market's there. There's something about having this in-person tasting and being able to experience it in real time and chat it over with the judges. Yeah, it's like being able to actually talk to Aisha Curry about this versus the one that she didn't like a few times ago and explaining and just also seeing just the actual physical reactions like when she's eating your sushi, right? Yeah, and it was like pouring rain that day. I was like <laughs> carrying like 20 omakases to the Forbes office. I'm like, please don't break, please don't break. I was really worried. We had, we had, I had tried to time it out perfectly because I know when the judges get a little hangry. Oh, yeah. And so then then it was a little, you know, the rain, it was it was. It's <laughs> Delayed and saw their Chloe worse with sushi. And I was like, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> it's great. Okay. Well, I want to thank you all for coming to Roberta's for pizza and some conversation. We love this story. Um, we'll probably likely see Kristen and Chloe next year. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever had somebody win twice for two different companies? Yeah, they can. No, that is against our rules. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You once an uh, under 30 lister, always an under 30 lister. You're always a lister. No okay. matter how good the second company is. Exactly. <laughs> Here's in our universe. Right. Forever well, to be it's, a, it's a lot of overachievers, too. So if you could win twice, people would probably be really going for that. And sometimes we write about them, you know, their new company, <laughs> but they're on the list for the other company. It happens right. all the time. Okay. I'm definitely shooting for three. Oh. <laughs> Two's off the list, but if you go three, three strong. Three's not off the list. <laughs> yeah, that's not Because of the 30 breaking. thing, it's like three. You know? That's it. Yeah. So Forbes, 30 under 30. You can check it out online at Forbes.com. They also have all of the archives. Um, it's great. It's fascinating to look at and see the different people and the reviews. There's also a great um, article that Kristen wrote about how they put the list together. There's a lot of things like that, which are interesting, especially if you're listening and you think you're going to nominate a company or you're nominating yourself or you want to get on it, understanding how they do it might be helpful. If you are interested in real iced tea, you can find them online, drinkreal.com. That's R-Y-L. You can find them on Instagram at The Real Company. You can find Angel, her Moku restaurant at Moku NYC on Instagram, MokuNYC.com online. That's M-O-K-O. And if you love this episode, go back to the Tech Bytes archives wherever you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio or heritageradionetwork.org. You can go all the way back to January 2015, episode number one, Forbes 30 Under 30. We also have episode 198, 224, 254, 282, 
And this is episode 298. You can find us at TechBytesHRN on social media. And of course, you can email us. If you love this episode, you have a company, you have a pitch, you want to sponsor a show, get in touch with us, TechBytes at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And the last thing I'm going to say is that this is episode 298. We are marching towards episode 300, which, which is going to be a big... Uh, Big episode for us, and it is coinciding with the 15th anniversary of Heritage Radio Network, which is kind of amazing that we have been on the air since then. If you go to heritageradionetwork.org, we are putting together today, we just announced the Heritage Radio Network 15th anniversary tour across the country, food, music, concerts, and radio. We will be in Asheville, North Carolina, Ardmore, Pennsylvania. We'll be in Philly, Charleston, South Carolina, LA, California, Vegas, Nashville, New York City. Check it out. You can make a donation to HRN for $75 to enter in to win bunches of food and tickets. It's a great thing. Support some radio. Stories like this are important. It's important for people to hear how the world works, how people generate $3.6 billion in investment money if you are an immigrant or a person who has a dream about sharing something and you want to get some business done in the food tech space. Understanding how people did it before you can be very helpful. So think about becoming a member. Think about supporting these businesses. Think about doing something great with your story. I mean, you never know. I'm sure Bloden and Angel never thought they would be sitting here on the radio eating, talking about their businesses. <laughs> yeah. Right? Didn't imagine. No. The best way to spend an afternoon, I think. Exactly. Without a doubt. Okay. Uh, I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.